Chapter Four, Part One of Letters on an Elk Hunt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Carroll. Letters on an Elk Hunt by Eleanor Pruitt Stewart. Chapter Four, Part One. Crazy Olaf and Others. In Camp august thirty first nineteen fourteen dear mrs coney we are across the desert and camped for a few days fishing on a shady bowery little stream we have had two frosty nights and there are trembling golden groves on every hand four men joined us at new fork and the bachelors have gone on but Mr. Stewart wanted to rest the beasties, and we all wanted to fish, so we camped for a day or two. The 28th was the warmest day we have had, the most disagreeable in every way. Not a breath of air stirred except an occasional whirlwind, which was hot and threw sand and dust over us. We could see the heat glimmering and not a tree nor a green spot. The mountains looked no nearer. I am afraid we all rather wished we were at home. Water was getting very scarce, so the men wanted to reach by noon a long, low valley they knew of, for sometimes water could be found in a buried riverbed there, and they hoped to find enough for the horses. But a little after noon we came to the spot, and only dry, glistening sand met our eyes. The men emptied the water bags for the horses, they all had a little water. We had to be saving, so none of us washed our dust-grimed faces. We were sitting in the scant shadow of the wagons, eating our dinner, when we were startled to see a tall, bareheaded man come racing down the draw. His clothes and shoes were in tatters. There were great blisters on his arms and shoulders where the sun had burned him. His eyes were swollen and red, and his lips were cracked and bloody. His hair was so white and so dusty that altogether he was a pitiful-looking object. He greeted us pleasantly and said that his name was Olaf Swanson and that he was a sheep herder, that he had seen us and had come to ask for a little smoking. By that he meant tobacco. Mrs. O'Shaughnessy was eyeing him very closely. She asked him when he had eaten. That morning, he said. She asked him what he had eaten. He told her cactus balls and a little rabbit. I saw her exchange glances with Professor Glenholt, and she left her dinner to get out her war bag. She called Olaf aside and gently dressed his blisters with Listerine. After she had helped him to clean his mouth, she said to him, Now, Olaf, sit by me and eat show me how much you can eat then tell me what you mean by saying you are a sheep herder don't you think we know there will be no sheep on the desert before there is snow to make water for them i am what i say i am he said i am not hurting now because sorrow has drove me to dig wells it is sorrow for horses have you not seen their bones every mile or so along this road them's markers every pile of bones marks where man's most faithful friend has laid down at last most of them died in the harness and for want of water i killed a horse once 
I was trying to have a good time. I had been out with sheep for months and hadn't seen anyone but my partner. We planned to have a ripping good time when we took the sheep in off the summer range and drew our pay. You don't know how people-hungry a man gets living out. So my partner and me laid out to have one spree. We had a neat little bunch of money, but when we got to town, we felt lost as sheep. We didn't know nobody but the bartender. We kept taking a drink now and then just so as to have him to talk to. Finally, he told us there was going to be a dance that night. So we asked around and found we could get tickets for $2 each. Sam said he'd like to go. We bought tickets. Somehow or another, they knew us for sheep herders, and every once in a while, somebody would ba ba at us. We had a couple of dances, but after that, we couldn't get a partner. After midnight, things begun to get pretty noisy. Sam and me was sitting wondering if we were having a good time when a fellow stepped on Sam's foot and said, Bah! I rose up and was going to smash him, but Sam collared me and said, Let's get away from here, Olaf, before trouble breaks out. It sounded as if every man in the house and some of the women were bahing. We were pretty near the door when a man put his hand to his nose and bahed. I knocked him down, and before you could bat your eye, everybody was fighting. We couldn't get out, so we backed into a corner, and every man my fist hit rested on the floor till somebody helped him away. A fella hit me on the head with a chair, and I didn't know how I finished or got out. The first thing I remember after that was feeling the greasewood thorns tearing my flesh and my clothes the next day. We were away out on the desert, not far from North Pilot Butte. Poor Sam couldn't speak. I got him off poor old Pinto and took off the saddle for a pillow for him. I hung the saddle blanket on a greasewood so as to shade his face. Then I got on my own poor horse, poor old Billy, and started to hunt help. I rode and rode. I was trying to find some outfit. When Billy lagged, I beat him on. You see, I was thinking of Sam. After a while, the horse staggered, stepped into a badger hole, I thought. But he kept staggering. I fell off on one side just as he pitched forward. He tried and tried to get up. I stayed till he died. Then I kept walking. I don't know what became of Sam. I don't know what became of me. But I do know I am going to dig wells all over this desert until every thirsty horse can have water. All the time he had been eating just pickles. When he finished his story, he ate faster. By now we all knew he was demented. The men tried to coax him to go on with us so that they could turn him over to the authorities, but he said he must be digging. At last it was decided to send someone back for him. Mr. Struble was unwilling to leave him, but the man would not be persuaded. Suddenly he gathered up his smoking and some food and ran back up the draw. We had to go on, of course. All that afternoon our road lay along the buried river. I don't mean dry river. Sand had blown into the river until the water was buried. 
Water was only a few feet down, and the banks were clearly defined. Sometimes we came to a small, dirty puddle, but it was so alkaline that nothing could drink it. The story we had heard had saddened us all, and we were sorry for our horses. Poor little Elizabeth Hall wept. She said the West was so big and bare, and she was so alone and so sad, she just had to cry. About sundown we came to a ranch and were made welcome by one Timothy Hobbs, owner of the place. The dwelling and the stables were a collection of low brown houses made of logs and daubed with mud. Fields of shocked grain made a very prosperous-looking background. A belled cow led a bunch of sleek cattle home over the sand dunes. A well in the yard afforded plenty of clear cold water, which was raised by a windmill. The cattle came and drank at the trough, the bell making a pleasant sound in the twilight. The men told Mr. Hobbs about the man we saw. Oh, yes, he said, that is crazy Olaf. He has been that way for twenty years. Spends his time digging wells, but he never gets any water, and the sand caves in almost as fast as he can get it out. Then he launched upon a recital of how he got sweet water by piping past the alkali strata. I kept hoping he would tell how Olaf was kept and who was responsible for him, but he never told. He invited us to prepare our supper in his kitchen, and as it was late and wood was scarce, we were glad to accept. He bustled about helping us, adding such dainties as fresh milk, butter, and eggs to our menu. He is a rather stout little man, with merry gray eyes and brown hair beginning to gray. He wore a red shirt and blue overalls, and he wiped his butcher's knife impartially on the legs of his overalls or his towel just whichever was handiest as he hurried about cutting our bacon and opening cans for us mrs o'shaughnessy and he got on famously after supper while she and elizabeth washed the dishes she asked him why he didn't get married and have someone to look after him and his cabin i don't have time he answered i came west eighteen years ago to make a start and a home for jenny and me but I can't find time to go back and get her. In the summer, I have to hustle to make the hay and grain, and I have to stay and feed the stock all the rest of the time. You write her once in a while, don't you? asked Mrs. O'Shaughnessy. Yes, he said. I wrote her two years ago, come April. Then I was so busy I didn't go to town till I went for my year's supplies. I went to the post office, and sure enough, there was a letter for me. Been waiting for me for six months. You see, the postmaster knows me, and never would send a letter back. I sat down there right in the office and answered it. I told her how it was. Told her I was coming after her soon as I could find time. You see, she refuses to come to me because I am so far from the railroad and she is afraid of Indians and wild animals. Have you got your answer? asked Elizabeth. No, he said. I ain't had time yet to go, but I kind of wish somebody would think to bring the mail. Not many people pass here, only when the open season takes hunters to the mountains. 
When you people come back, will you stop and ask for the mail from me? We promised. End of chapter 4, part 1